This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in this week. Hey, if you have not yet requested my special January report that was also a client communication in January titled, Will the Recently Passed COVID Relief Package Negatively Affect Your Retirement? I'd like to invite you to get a copy. You can go to requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. Just let us know where to mail your complimentary copy of that report, and we'll be glad to do that. And I'll also include with that report your copy of the number one best-selling book from last year titled Revenue Sourcing. And Revenue Sourcing is a retirement planning strategy for the post-pandemic economy. So the report and the book are yours. If you just go to the website, requestyourreport.com, we'll be glad to send you a complimentary copy. We are here at uh, RLA Radio all about education. And to that end, at our website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, we have a number of resources available. Uh, You can also download the Your RLA app at that website. And uh, the app or the website will get you access to our weekly podcast, our weekly newsletter titled Portfolio Watch, and you'll also get access to our weekly informational webinar. So again, that web address, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Joining me on today's program in segments two and three will be my special guest, Mr. Harry Dent. Harry is a uh, best-selling author many times over. And uh, we're going to chat with him about uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. Harry happens to be of the opinion that Bitcoin is in a bubble, but he thinks it is a technology that will uh, be around for a long time. And uh, certainly I uh, agree with uh, much of what Harry has to say. And I want to spend a little bit of time, as I did on my client webinar this past week. And if you'd like to watch the full webinar, you can go again to the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and uh, watch the webinar. But I spent a fair amount of time on the webinar talking about this very topic, cryptocurrencies. You know, cryptocurrencies are making headlines uh, of late. In fact, uh, Bitcoin uh, recently went to about $42,000 per Bitcoin. Now, I've had a number of questions from clients and listeners to this program and webinar participants about the advisability of buying cryptocurrencies. Essentially, what these folks are asking is, should I be storing my wealth in cryptocurrencies? So I want to take a little time on this week's program and talk about that. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with cryptocurrencies, They are digital currencies that use blockchain technology. Now, to understand this a little bit better, let's break that down. A digital currency, digital simply means that these currencies exist online. Now, because these currencies exist online, they are not typically backed by anything physical, and they're certainly not anything physical. Now, what is blockchain technology? Well, blockchain technology is best described as a time-stamped, unalterable series of data 
managed by a cluster of computers not owned by any single entity or person. And each of these blocks of data are linked together using cryptographic principles or, or linked together with a chain. So blockchain technology is a time-stamped, unalter unalterable series of data managed by a cluster of computers not owned by a single entity or person. Now, the blockchain network has no central authority. It's not located in one place. You might say that the blockchain network is a democratized system. It is a shared and unalterable, unchangeable ledger. The information is open and available for anyone to see. On the blockchain, everything is very transparent. Now, you might think about it this way to kind of help understand what blockchain is. The blockchain is really a spreadsheet that's duplicated thousands of times across a network of computers. Then imagine that this network is designed to regularly update this spreadsheet. So the blockchain is a spreadsheet that's duplicated across a network of computers, and it's regularly updated on all computers. So information on this blockchain exists as a shared and a continually reconciled and updated database. Now, this is a way of using the network that has obvious benefits. The blockchain database isn't stored in any single location. It's stored simultaneously at many, many locations. That means the records kept on the blockchain are truly public and they are easily verifiable. There is no centralized version of this information, and that's really what is required for someone to, to hack the data or corrupt the data. There has to be a centralized version of the information. See, the blockchain is hosted by literally millions of computers simultaneously, and its data is available literally to anyone on the Internet. Now, the common denominator among digital currencies is that they all pretty much use blockchain technology. Each unit of digital currency exists on the blockchain. Now, my opinion is that the reason you're seeing such movement in cryptocurrency prices presently is that the population or much of the population, is actively and intensely seeking an alternative to fiat currency when it comes to storing their wealth. You know, that's why, as I mentioned at the outset, that Bitcoin went to more than $40,000. Now, back in 2017, in November of 2017, so a little more than three years ago, in my client newsletter, I offered the opinion that Bitcoin had bubbled because Bitcoin had nearly quadrupled from 2,500 to nearly 10,000, and it turned out that Bitcoin went to about 20,000 before it collapsed again back to about 3,000. We're seeing something very similar presently. 
Um, now, often as time passes and technologies are updated and you get more information, your opinion will change. However, my opinion regarding Bitcoin really hasn't changed much in the last three years. I view Bitcoin as a speculative investment. It doesn't have any intrinsic value, and I don't believe that it will ever be fully embraced as a currency. And I'll outline why I think that in the last segment of today's program, and I'll give you some strategies that you might consider instead. And if you're just joining me, I'd like to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my January client report titled, Will the Recently Passed COVID Relief Package Negatively Affect Your Retirement? You can get your copy of that report by visiting requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I am pleased to have on the program once again today returning guest, Mr. Harry Dent. Uh, Harry has a, been a prolific author over the years with too many best-selling books to probably mention. Uh, you can get his free newsletter, uh, free daily newsletter, I believe, at harrydent.com. And coming up uh, on the 27th, January 27th, he will be participating in the Great Bitcoin Debate. That is a free online event. If you'd like to get more information or register to attend, uh, the website is harrydentonline.com. And Harry, welcome back to the program. Yeah, nice to be back, Dennis. So, Harry, tell us about this great Bitcoin debate. Bitcoin, uh, what, hit 40000 here recently before it pulled back a bit? Um, what's that all yeah, about? It's funny. I was forecasting. I'm always saying that Bitcoin has one more run in its first bubble, which, which is I compare to the dot-com bubble in 98 to early 2000. That's why, and I was saying last year it was going to run up to 32000 in early to mid-2019 and then have one more big crash before it, it goes a, a long-term boom. But, of course, that got put off a little bit, and that, that's what's happening now. So in December, I said, well, guess what? The target now on that same kind of trend line through all the crazy tops in Bitcoin so far is 34,500. I could see people saying, well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Well, it hits that right in whatever, in early January or something or December, but backs off about 15% and then runs through it. And that's significant because they said, boy, if it can break above there, then it's got more potential. So, so I'm going to be debating a guy from down here in Puerto Rico. He's, he's like a, a super insider in the Bitcoin industry. So I'm the outsider looking at it saying, look, I don't understand everything about Bitcoin, but I know how new technologies emerge and when they have shakeouts and when they bubble and all this sort of stuff. And so I'm going to compare it to the dot-com bubble emerging 20 years before it, and he's going to be – doing all the stuff. Well, here's what it is. He does not think it can have another big crash like they've seen in the past. I think there's one more, the biggest crash yet, and then it's going to boom into the, you know, well into the 2030s or 2040. And literally, I call it the internet on a 17 to 20 year lag. It's, it's like internet 2.0. The, the, what people understand, and this will not be obvious for a while because you can't see it from here, but crypto and blockchain and, and, and Bitcoin stuff, 
will allow uh, the digitization of all financial assets and money. So, so it's the Internet of things of value. The Internet's been excellent at communication and email and Google. I mean, it's transformed my business beyond recognition and research and stuff. But this is about how you deal with and transfer things of value where you need security and, and transparency and privacy and much more efficiency. Uh, so 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 th- this is a big deal. A, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is just a stupid bubble. It is a stupid bubble right now, but so was the dot-coms, and they still became the greatest thing in history on a lag. So that's the way I'm looking at it, and, and Michael will be at, arguing, no, he doesn't even think that, that we'll see you know, uh, uh, a crash of that magnitude again, and I think it's almost guaranteed. So that's what the debate's about, but, but we both agree this is the next big thing. You know, Harry, when you look at a price chart of Bitcoin, it goes, you know, almost vertical. It's very parabolic, and you know, it looks a lot like the uh, the tulip mania bubble, the South Sea bubble, and the the bubble you mentioned, the technology stock bubble. So, uh, certainly, when uh, when something goes almost straight up, uh, you know, it seems that that it would have to to, to at least correct at some point. Uh, talk a yeah. little bit, Harry, about this. Uh, uh, technology, emerging technologies, and, and, and how, how they behave. And I know you've written about that extensively in the past. Yeah, well, you know, I have a 45-year technology cycle with steamships, railroads, automobiles, jet engines, just for that sort of thing. I mean, it, it's almost so precisely 45 years, it's uncanny. But, but what happened, there will be two S-curve accelerations, you know, like in this one, in the whole personal computer and internet thing. There was personal computing with cell phones and, and, you know, and personal computers, portable, smaller and smaller. And then there was the internet to connect them to everything. So it took two S-curve surges. And of course, the internet has been peaking in recent times. I mean, it, it's it's done what it can do. Everybody's got it. It's ubiquitous, even, even in third world countries almost. So that's a maturing cycle. What happens in this, when the last cycle is maturing, like the internet in this case, people see, oh my gosh, these things have changed the world. And then the new ones come along, you know, like, like this Bitcoin and blockchain crypto, and, and, and investors immediately search, well, these things are going to do the same thing, and they forget, oops, but it took 20 years for the internet to get to here. And then they really forget the, the dot-coms had a monster bubble just like this. There was a crash in the late 98. There was a big surge. And the, dot, the last surge in the NASDAQ from late 98 into early 2000 was totally dominated by the dot-coms. AOL was 400 times earnings. They, you know, Amazon had gone public at six and then went up to 136 or something just literally in months. And, and and that was a bubble just like this. And you're exactly <laughs> bubbles are bubbles. They look just like the male orgasm. I know how to look, but I can see a bubble by a, a lying, but putting the Masters and Johnson male orgasm um, pattern over it and tell you if it's a normal bull market or bubble. When it, you're right, when it goes exponentially like this, it's going to go exponentially down. My forecast, and the same thing for the dot coms. Dot coms bubble just like this, just as extreme, and then they crashed. 95% when the tech last tech bubble burst 2000 to 2002. Well, we got a tech bubble now getting ready to burst. Even more extreme than that one into I'm forecasting late 2022 or so. So I see this this last bubble 
in cryptos and blockchain. And you have to remember the the dot coms were part of the Nasdaq because they entered through IPOs. These cryptos and Bitcoin and blockchain are not part of the Nasdaq because they do ICOs, coin coin offerings to get away from the high cost and regulations of IPOs, which is very slick, by the way, and they will never call it a a security. They call it a coin. Yeah, you're supposed to spend it, not, not no, no, it's a security. Okay, so so that that's how they and so. You know, I also add that to the IPOs and stuff, and this is accelerating this. So this, to me, is happening exactly like the dot-coms. And the other thing I point out to people, Dennis, I mean, even biotech is a big deal. Biotech has never, in the early stages, bubbled like the Internet did or, or, or the, or the uh, cryptos are here. The fact that they're bubbling in this early stage, as ridiculous as it is, this is a ridiculous bubble, <laughs> Bitcoin's an invisible coin that will have value if it can become a large-scale digital gold standard for this new digital monetary system, which I think it can. But it's nowhere near that now. It is a crazy bubble. You're buying an invisible coin for $42,000 recently, and I've got one chart that said it could go to 300000 by the end of this year, and then crash 95%. That's, that's the most bullish. But the point is the important new technologies do bubble like this early on and they do crash just like you said there is no you can't go up like this and, and every bubble like this in history that's gone up this steep has gone down they don't go down 30 or 40 or 50 percent they go down 90 to 95 percent and that's what i'm going to be arguing with the, that's what i have to argue with the crypto experts they don't see that as possible because they see all the potential i'm like no but you don't understand you guys and investors are valuing this extremely early stage. Bitcoin is at 1% global adoption, 2% or a little more in the U.S. It's extremely early stage. And, and so you're valuing it like it's already the Internet of the future. It's not. It's nowhere near so, so, so this is important to understand. Uh, I'm telling people I am waiting to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum or whatever survives the next crash. And, and I'm, I'm t- another thing. Half the dot-coms went under in the, after that crash. Half. I mean, there was hundreds of them. Half of them did not survive that crash by 2003 or four. So a lot of these are going to go under. So you want to buy the surviving leaders like you could have bought Amazon in 2001 or 2002 at six bucks again. And then now it's at 3,600, 17 years later. So, so that's the opportunity. I, it's too volatile for most people. But if we do see what I'm saying – a big bubble and a big crash, most people are going to think, oh, well, that was stupid. That's over forever. That's when you buy the survivors. And that's, I mean, and then you can hold that for 15 years and make a fortune. So, Harry, the the, the talk about bubbles here, this is a good segue to um, your most recent book, which uh, I believe was released in April, What to Do When the Bubble Pops, Personal and Business Strategies for the Coming Economic Winter. Can you talk a little bit about the book? And and, and from the title, uh, it appears that it's your view that uh, the economy is in a bubble. Yeah, I mean, this is the bubble of all time. you got to remember... We, we've had bubble, I call it the fall bubble boom season over two generation cycle, about 80 years. I got the whole economy mapped out. It, things are way more predictable than people think at the macro level. Not, not, at, not at, you know, stock corrections, not at, you know, political scandals and all the crazy stuff, not, you know, Trump going wild or whatever, but the fundamental cycles, generational spending booms and busts, and then other, th- other cycles around it are a lot more 
predictable. The fall bubble boom season started with the baby booms, rising, dramatic rising cycle, 83 to 2007, and you saw the 87 bubble and burst. We didn't see even little bubbles like that in, in the 42 to 68 boom of the last generation because it, it's the spring boom. It's not bubbly. And then, of course, the tech bubble in the 2000, and then the 2007 I call minor bubble, and now this is the bubble of all bubbles, and it is global, and it's everything. It's the second real estate bubble. It's the second big tech bubble. These two tech bubbles dwarf the other bubbles. So this is the second tech bubble. And now investor sentiment is way higher than it was even in early 2000. This bubble has lasted longer and gone way higher percentage gains than even the first tech bubble. So this is the bubble of all time. It is getting really close to bursting to me because you just saw these extreme IPOs, Airbnb, those things are going to be worth nothing. You see Tesla at $900 when it should be 40 if it's lucky, and that's where it's going. That's another bubble that's going to burst. So this bubble's going to burst. It'll be a big shakeout and in the tech industries and these new blockchain and all this stuff, and then we'll be ready to grow with the millennial generation starting in 2023 or 24 in the next global boom. And... That's when blockchain and will become the next internet and on the financial arena and become the next big thing. And that's when you want to own these blockchain and Bitcoin-like stocks. Not now. This is a crazy early-stage bubble that should only be played by traders. I don't even think most traders will figure this out. So, so that, that's where we're at in the cycle. So these cycles, technologies move in S-curves. Generational cycles move on, on a 46, 47-year lag for peak spending from the birth curves and stuff, and immigration curve. I mean, it's, it's really not complicated stuff on the macro level, but we are we have been in the winter season uh, since 2008 when baby boomers stopped spending. Why do you think we've been had, had to have nonstop quantitative easing and stimulus ever since to replace that lack of spending, which was the greatest spending wave in history? And now after the COVID, we've, we've printed monumental amounts of money and added monumental fiscal stimulus. They're going to do way more. We, we just added stimulus, Dennis, in the last year, counting, the, counting Biden's plan about to come up, you know, of about, uh, you know, 50% of GDP. It's, it's insanity to have to do that just to avoid a short-term uh, COVID collapse or a recession. So, so I, think, I think the bubble is going to burst between now and when the vaccine can become effective, which is at the earliest late summer, early fall. Anybody thinks this vaccine is going to be widespread enough to kind of relieve this, you can't go out anywhere and do anything and kiss or hug anybody or, or you know, hold hands or whatever, that is, that is not going to go away for a long time. And the economic impacts keep hitting. And this massive stimulus of the last year is already showing weakness in the economy again. And I think you're going to see more. So I think this bubble burst. The, the, the challenge for investors, just get out of the way. Don't go for that last 10% in stocks or blockchain or whatever. Get out around here. Wait for this crash. It should be over by late 2022. I have not only a big 90-year cycle and super bubbles, but a 20 and 40 and 10-year stock cycles come all together. I mean, I've never seen so many cycles. I've got my four most important stock cycles all coming together 
around late 2022. In fact, Dennis, I was predicting in the late 80s when I came up with my first demographic and technology models and all that sort of stuff, that we would see the lowest point in our stock market of our lifetimes at the end of 2022. And I'm still forecasting that. And from here, that's a big drop. Well, my guest today is Mr. Harry Dent. Uh, you can get his free daily newsletter by visiting harrydent.com, and you can also attend the great Bitcoin debate on the 27th of January. That is free. You can register online at harrydentonline.com. I will be back after these words and continue my conversation with Harry Dent. Stay with me. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I am chatting today with Mr. Harry Dent. Harry is a uh, multi-time best-selling author. His most recent book uh, released uh, in April of 2020, What to Do When the Bubble Pops, Personal and Business Strategies for the Coming Economic Winter. And uh, you can get his daily newsletter, uh, which is free at harrydent.com. So, Harry, let's talk a little bit about uh, maybe some some strategies uh, for people that are listening to your forecast of uh, a stock market crash by the end of 2022, and they're aspiring to a comfortable, stress-free retirement, what advice would you have for them? Well, well number one, uh, and, and this only happens once every two generations at a minimum, and, and even more so once every 90, that's about 80 years, and once every 90 years on this super bubble cycle. And we've got both hitting. The generational cycle hit in 2008, down for a decade and a half, and this cycle is hitting now at the end of this winter season. So what it says to you as an investor, you can't think like normal. And I hate to say this, you can't talk to your everyday financial advisor, who 90% of the time is going to tell you kind of the right thing to do. Do not listen to them now. You cannot just go into some little more blander or broader asset allocation because what happens in these super bubble crashes, all financial assets, all financial assets, particularly stocks, particularly high-end real estate, get decimated and come down. They're just coming down to reality after a stupid bubble. So you have to protect your assets. And there's two things that were proven to do well in, in the tech wreck, but more so in the more comparable 1929 to 32 crash, that was the peak of a major 90-year cycle bubble and the beginning of a winter season generationally back then. So those two hit at the same time bad. The two things that worked, you, 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 you're in cash or better in the highest quality bonds. That means 10 and 30-year treasury bonds and only AAA corporate bonds, and they're not easy to find. There aren't any anymore. Everybody's been leveraging up and getting more in debt and stuff. Those things become the safe haven. And the U.S. dollar does globally, as it did in 2008. Everybody thinks that the gold bucks say the dollar's going to crash, gold's going to go to 5,000. I say gold's going to go to 1,000, and the dollar's going to rise 20, 30, 40%. So dollar-denominated, high-quality bonds, it will make money when everything else falls. It's the one safe haven that money flows into in addition to cash and T-bills. But But you don't you don't make money on those, you just preserve your money. And that's not a bad thing to do, just be sitting in cash. 
The other thing, to the degree you want to take some risk, and I think people should take some risk when stocks are so high, you have some portion, it could be 10%, it could be 50% of your portfolio, just simply short, unleveraged short, like for the S&P 500, you buy the ETF SH, okay, that sort of thing. Just simply short stocks. So that when they go down, you're making money instead of losing money. So, so that's the portfolio, depending on your risk level. Very high-quality bonds is the primary thing to be in. Cash is fine up to a degree. And then you choose if you want to be 10 to some percent or more it's short stocks. You just, you just get short and hold them and let all this stuff happen. It's very volatile. And that way you make money. But, but frankly, if you just sat in cash, during this thing like Joseph Kennedy did in 1929 on, and everything crashes. Now, let me, get, let me define crash. In 1929 to 32, the fang-like stocks of those days were General Motors, Ford, RCA, AT&T, companies like that. Those were leading-edge tech, okay? They were fang-like. They were blue chips. They had bubbled the most in the 29, and they crashed 89%. Nobody would have thought those quality companies, and those companies did go continue to become the greatest companies in the world, particularly General Motors, the greatest company in the world in the 60s and 70s. But it crashed 90% first. So, so you let that crash happen, and then you just rebuy around late 2022, since this is being pushed back with all this central bank endless money printing. They're just putting off the inevitable. It might go into 2023, but you don't even look at buying stocks long-term again until at least late 2022 and perhaps uh, into 2023. Then you just rebuy quality stocks, the one that survived. They're the same with, with the new jazzy sectors, blockchain and crypto and Bitcoin. Buy the companies that survived that crash. That'll be pretty evident by late 2022 or so, because half of these companies are going to go under or, or going to be crippled so badly they look like they're going under and will eventually. So that's the strategy. It's very simple. Get out of the way. Be in the highest quality bonds where the, where the safe haven will flow. Be in U.S. dollars. These people tell, oh, you got to get out of U.S. dollars and get in Swiss francs and get in Singapore dollars and get in Canadian dollars. And get No, the U.S. dollar is a damn good place to be and probably the best. And it was in 2008 when Lehman Brothers and the thing really blew up. Gold suddenly crashed and the U.S. dollar uh, has been going up ever since then, but particularly in that crash. So U.S. dollar. Highest quality. Long, you want long-term buy. If I have a choice, my, my financial advisor said, well, uh, Harry, you can buy a 10-year treasury or 30-year. I recommend the 10-year because they're, they're more widely traded. I'm like, no, I want the 30-year. The 30-year locks in these high yields that are going to go down to near zero. And they're only 1.85% on the 30-year today, okay? But that's going to go to near zero that bond will appreciate 40% or more if that happens. But if the 10-year, which will go from maybe 0.95 here or whatever it is recently, 0.88 down to near zero or a little lower, it's only going to go up 10 or 15%. So I want those 30-year treasury bonds, and I want 20-year, the longest-dated corporate AAA bonds, which tend to be 20 years. So that's the best place to be overall, highest quality bonds in the U.S. dollar, which is still the reserve currency. And people say, yeah, but we got all these problems. Yes, but Europe has worse demographics, more money printing than us. Japan has way worse demographics and way more money printing than us, much worse 
house in a bad neighborhood. And China is the kingpin of this entire global bubble, and it's going to burst so badly, they're not going to get off their ass for years. Everybody, well, China's the place to go because they're going to grow forever. China's demographics peaked in 2011, for crying out loud. Japan was the first developed country to peak in 1996 in their spending demographics. China has already peaked, and they're living off endless stimulus building. They don't print money, Dennis. They print condos. That's even more dangerous. They have 22% empty condos in cities across China. That is a deflationary crash getting ready to happen on its own. And, and, and Chinese have 75% of their investments net worth in real estate versus 25 to 30% here. And they have two or three houses, and, and the one they're not living in are empty, and they think they're going to go up forever. They are going to get hit so hard. Uh, you know, if your business is dependent on Chinese coming over here, spending money or transferring money over, that that's going to come to a rapid end. So, so this is a dramatic scenario, Dennis, but I'm telling you, I've done my homework. And if it doesn't start by the end of this year, then, then maybe the central banks have just put us into mediocrity land and we never have a big crash. It also means we'll never have a big boom again, like Japan. But it, this history says this is almost inevitable here and nobody's going to see this coming. And it is dramatic. And I tell people, I'm sorry, I was the guy that predicted the great boom ahead in the 80s, okay? And everybody thought I was crazy for that. They thought, and, and I predicted Japan would collapse in the 90s when we were booming, and everybody thought I was double nuts for that. This is a dramatic period. The baby boom made it dramatic. Central banks trying to inflate their way out of a bubble, printing $25 trillion in a decade, has never happened before. And, and now this stimulus now, this is unique, and it's creating a extreme bubble, and extreme bubbles, as you said earlier, can only do one thing, crash, and crash major. There is no soft landing Ever in history for a bubble. If there is this time, it'll be the first time, and I am not betting on that. So, Harry, we've got about three minutes left. Uh, compare what you're forecasting, uh, real estate declining, stocks declining, maybe crashing is a better word. Compare that to what we experienced back in 2007, 2008. Is this on the same magnitude, uh, much greater magnitude? What's your view? Yeah, yeah, it's greater. Real estate went down around 34% in the 2008-9 crash, and it took longer to bottom, but most of it happened by early 2009, like stock. It will be more like 50% this time, so it's going to be greater. Stocks went down, I think it was 54%. It'll be more like 80 to 90% this time. So so basically, part of what happened in this is we started to go into a Great Depression. You know, 2008 started to look just like 1930. That's when central banks woke up and said, whoa. And, of course, Ben Bernanke had studied this. We do not want a Great Depression. That's when they just put the fire hoses. We never got to deleverage the debt and financial asset bubbles. That Great Depression crash lasted 34 months to do all that deleveraging. This one they cut off right in the middle at 17, and we never really did do much deleveraging. So we're going to have to do all that heavy deleveraging. In this final crash, the good news, Dennis, is I'm telling you, economists are going to say, if, I, if what I'm saying happens in the next few years, economists are going to say, oh, my gosh, we missed that, but it was a great big bubble, and now we're going to be in a decade depression. No, this is going to be the final crash, and we're going to be coming out of this booming when we finally deleverage and get rid of a lot of zombie companies and debt. So this is a worse scenario longer to hit bottom and deeper for real estate stocks and even better for the high-quality bonds. 
Well, the clock says we need to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Harry Dent. Uh, you can get his free daily newsletter by visiting the website harrydent.com. And if you would like to participate in the great Bitcoin debate, uh, it is a free online event. You can register uh, to watch that debate at harrydentonline.com. That's harrydentonline.com. Harry, always a pleasure to get you on the program and love to have you back down the road. Sure, enjoyed it, Dennis. We will return after these words. Dennis Tubergen. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to listen in today. And thanks again to my special guest today, Mr. Harry Dent, for joining us on today's program and offering his opinion on various markets, including Bitcoin, which is what we are discussing again in this segment. If you're just tuning in, uh, be sure to order your copy of my January report titled, Will the Recently Passed COVID Relief Package Negatively Affect Your Retirement? The report is free. If you order the report, I will also get you a complimentary copy of the best-selling book from last year, Revenue Sourcing, A Retirement Planning Strategy for the Post-COVID Economy. So you'll get the report and the book. All you have to do is go to requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to get a copy of both of those out to you. Uh, so you can get another perspective. We're all about education here. And to that end, you can also visit our website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, where you can get access to our podcast, our weekly newsletter, uh, as well as the weekly update webinar. So in the first segment of today's program and also in my conversation with Harry Dent, I talked a lot about Bitcoin. And I offered my opinion that uh, really my opinion on Bitcoin in the last three years hasn't changed all that much. Uh, I think that my opinion of Bitcoin as being a speculative investment with no intrinsic value is accurate. Now, certainly many agree, disagree with me. Harry Dent would disagree with me maybe somewhat. We both agree that Bitcoin is probably in a bubble presently. But I don't believe that Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin will ever be fully embraced as a currency. And I share that or I've developed that opinion for three reasons. Number one, cryptocurrencies don't solve all the problems that are inherent to fiat currencies. Now, if you're not familiar with what a fiat currency is, a fiat currency is really, when you use the term fiat currency, you're really describing any currency that exists in the world today. A fiat currency is currency or legal tender by fiat or by government decree. So when you look at the U.S. dollar, up to 1971, the U.S. dollar was directly redeemable for gold in a specific quantity. If you had 35 U.S. dollars, you were entitled to exchange that for one ounce of gold. That convertibility no longer exists in the U.S. dollar, and it no longer exists in any currency. So essentially, a fiat currency 
is really got very little intrinsic value. I mean, a $100 bill doesn't have much intrinsic value. It is worth only intrinsically or tangi- uh, or from a tangible perspective, whatever the paper on which the $100 bill is printed is worth. Well, cryptocurrencies really don't fix that. As I talked about in the first segment, digital currency exists on the blockchain. It is a digital unit of currency. It doesn't have any tangible value either. So on a very fundamental level, cryptocurrencies are really just another fiat currency. Now, there is one caveat to that statement. There is an argument to be made about cryptocurrencies being better than fiat currencies because there's a limit on the amount of cryptocurrency that can be created. But the fact of the matter is that cryptocurrencies are typically not backed by anything tangible like gold, silver, land, or industrial goods. And it was Voltaire who said, wisely, in my opinion, that all currencies eventually return to their intrinsic value. Well, in this case, that is zero. You know, you have to ask yourself the question that, you know, if you go back 10 to 12 years, when Bitcoin came on the scene, if you had 10 Bitcoin, 10 of these digital units of currency, you didn't even have one cent worth of value. Here we are 12 years later, and the same 10 units of digital currency are now worth $350,000. So in, roughly speaking, in a decade, what makes 10 Bitcoin worth $350,000 rather than a penny? One penny to $350,000. Does that make sense? I would argue that that is speculative. And that's why my second reason that I believe Bitcoin will not be fully embraced as a currency anytime soon is that they are speculative. You know, a currency that is used to buy and sell things really needs to be stable. Think about this. If you're selling something to someone, if you're selling them a used car, Would you sell someone that car today for $20,000 taking cryptocurrency as payment knowing that there's a real risk that tomorrow that $20,000 might be worth only $15,000? I would argue you probably would not do that. That's why at this point in time, I believe that cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment vehicle rather than a viable alternative currency. And when you look at the third reason, uh, I would probably think twice about investing in Bitcoin presently. And my crystal ball is not always right either. I don't have one that works any more than anybody else does. You've seen cryptocurrencies make a huge run up. And we have a, a, an almost straight up chart when you look at a price chart as far as Bitcoin goes. So I view this as a speculative investment. Um again, that doesn't have really any intrinsic value. And the bubble that I believe Bitcoin is in presently looks a lot like the bubble that existed in Bitcoin three years ago. Now, it is no secret that fiat currencies are being severely devalued. And it's no secret that many citizens are looking for alternate stores of value. 
Now, despite the allure and the novelty of fiat currencies to protect against currency devaluation, I expect that more tangible assets will ultimately prove to be the best way to protect and preserve purchasing power. Just about a week ago, Forbes reported that Bill Gates, one of the world's richest men, is now the largest holder of farmland in the United States. Now, there are other individuals that own more land, just not farmland. Now, Summit News said this, uh, and I quote, Indeed, Gates is now the biggest owner of farmland in America, according to a Forbes report. After years of reports that he was purchasing agricultural land in places like Florida and Washington, the land report revealed that Gates, who has a net worth of nearly $121 billion, according to Forbes, has built up a massive farmland portfolio spanning 18 states. Gates now owns 242,000 acres of farmland across the United States, mostly through third-party entities by Cascade Investments, which is Gates' personal investment vehicle. Now, John Malone, Ted Turner, Jeff Bezos are all investing in land, Billionaires Ray Dalio, John Paulson, David Einhorn, and Stanley Druckenmiller are all buying gold and are publicly stating that they are doing so. Tangible assets would still be something to consider given current monetary policy that doesn't appear poised to change anytime soon. I would encourage you to order the revenue sourcing book in the January report to learn more. Would be glad to send you a copy of both when you visit requestyourreport.com. It's all the time I have for this week, but I'll be back again next week. 